chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm excited to have Lance Witt on the show today. Lance is a former pastor, multi-time author, speaker, and the founder of Replenish Ministries, dedicated to helping people live and lead from a healthy soul. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. So Lance, thank you so much for making the time to be on the Something Extra podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. I have been looking forward to this and excited that I've gotten to know you just a little bit and look forward to our conversation today. I do too. And I've told you, I've read several of your books now. I've read your blogs and I'm. it helps me. I know your story and I know your wisdom and your insights are going to help our listeners. And that is my hope and my prayer for today is that our listeners go away with a lot of good things that they can implement. But before we get started, did you grow up in California or where did you grow up? No, I actually grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My dad was an air traffic controller. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I was the oldest of four kids and our life kind of revolved around going to church. My dad wasn't in ministry, but seemed like we were there every time the doors were open. And so I have a lot of faith foundation in my early years because of what my parents sort of invested in us. I know that that's come into play. Absolutely. You spent 25 years in ministry as a pastor. And I think like from 1999 to 2006, you were the executive pastor and teaching pastor at Saddleback. Yep. I was uh, there with Rick Warren. And of course, he's founded that church way back in 1980. I got there in 1999, late 1999. And then he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life in 2002. And of course, that was a game changer for him personally, for our church, because he just you know, became sort of an international celebrity overnight with the uh, release of that book. It just sold so many copies and had such impact. So 
it was quite a ride being there during those years when there was just explosive growth. Well, and I've told you, I mean, our listeners may not recognize Saddleback, but a lot of our listeners are going to recognize the Purpose Driven Life. I know it's changed a lot of people's lives, but I want to tell you something. Lance has got a lot of books that he's written, uh, Replenish, High Impact Teams. His latest one is Your One Life, and it's Own It, Live It, Love It. And I want to tell you something. This book is going to change a lot of people's lives too, Lance. So congratulations on that. And I know that you don't want to take the glory or the credit for that, but I love this book. And so we're going to dig in. But before we do, though, I know, so you were on this wild ride at Saddleback with Rick Warren and everything that was going on there. But you kind of had a little bit of a pivot in 2006 where you decided to step down. And here's what you said at the time. I was weary. I was emotionally empty and I was spiritually dry. You said you were feeding others while starving your own soul. In many ways, it really was sort of a crisis because I thought the job I had there was really my dream job. But as things went along and I wasn't leading myself very well and the pace of my life was out of control and the pressure was pretty enormous. And I always tell people it was both the most intoxicating and toxic season of my life all at the same time. And most of that was because I wasn't leading myself well. And I tended toward being a workaholic anyway. And Having my job at Saddleback was like being an alcoholic and getting a job at a bar. (laughs) It it wasn't always healthy for me. And now I look back and I can see all of those things. But at the time, I was just burned out. I was fried from the pace that we were living. It was causing problems at home. So yeah, in 2006, Rick and I had some fairly lengthy conversations. And finally, I just concluded, I can't stay. Man, that was a tough decision to step down. I didn't have another place to go, didn't have another job to go to. I just knew that I had to have a change, that not just ministry had to be different, but life had to be different. And I was committed to figuring out a different way of living. And that is precisely what you did. And I know there's a lot more of that backstory. You took a trip to Asia and you were on the plane and you're like, what am I going to do? Because you didn't have anything to go to, right? And I think you were going to help a church in Singapore at the time. But your wife, Connie, was like, I don't know that you really need to step into another pastorate, you know, right now. Right. Be just kind of open to what else God has for you. And I remember reading about that trip to Asia and you're asking God, what do I do? And he said, help other pastors, you know, that are in your your situation. And that's when you founded Replenish. But I really I want to dig into your one life and own it, live it, love it, because there's so much in here. And so you've got two grown children, Megan and Jonathan, right? And you've got, I know the apple of your eye are these four little granddaughters that you have. (laughs) Right. But I read the Ford and I literally cried because the Ford was written by Jonathan and Megan. They said in the last 15 years, we've had front row seats to this incredible, inspiring transformation from our dad. The drive and ambition are still there, but what is getting his attention And his intention are the things that matter most. There's a bit of a story behind that. So because I had written a couple of other books, when I was visiting with a friend of mine who's in the publishing world, he he just told me, he said, Lance, 
Fords don't sell books. So don't just go try to get someone famous to write the forward of your book. He said, find someone that for you, 10 years from now, it would be meaningful that they wrote the forward of your book. And so I was thinking about that. And I just had this thought, like nothing would be more meaningful than having my own two kids write the forward. And I had no idea what they would write. But gosh, as a dad, it was such a huge gift and blessing what they ended up writing. So I feel honored. I tell you what, there is nothing greater that we can accomplish than to leave a legacy for our family. Yeah, the older I get, the more that focus on that becomes even more important. Because the truth is, someday somebody's going to take over your company. Somebody's going to sit in your office. They're going to give your computer to somebody else. And when life runs its course and your career is over and all your leadership stuff is done, the people that are going to be left are your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your close friends. And so investing in those relationships, it's everything. So I have strong conviction about that. I Boy, I have not always got that right because we've been building a business now for 27 years. And it's like you can get very mixed up in your priorities. And there have been years where I know I should have spent more time with my family and I was helping build the business, you know? Well, part of the reason I have such conviction comes out of my own brokenness with this because I have some regrets as a young pastor who was so committed to growing the church and building the church and kind of being all in for the church. And I have some regrets about not being there for my kids. And so I have a life manifesto that I talk about in your one life. And part of that life manifesto is I want to be an available grandfather. That matters so much to me. And it comes out of the fact that I didn't always get it right when I was younger. So that's a pretty big priority. Right. Well, we have a grandson too. So, you know, it's kind of good when you have those grandkids because you can kind of have a little bit of a do-over. <laughs> exactly. But let's get into the book. So you've got five parts to this book. Part one is crafting the life you long to live. And then part two, and I want to kind of dig into each one of these. Part two is the life operating system. We've already kind of talked about this a little bit, and this is leading from a healthy soul. Yep. Part three is a great one. It is about time. Part four is enjoying life with God. And then part five is practicing the presence of people. So I kind of want to dig into each of these just a little bit, but crafting the life you long to live, you know, Basically, you said, you know, in the 21st century, we have unlimited options for how we use our time. And then you call it marking time and maximizing time. Can you dig into that just a little bit, if you would? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, the truth is we don't really end up leading our lives. We just end up accepting them. And so we sort of just get swept along in the culture and we sort of just get running through the days, just marking time, getting up, going to work, having a little recreation. And we don't really pull back and just say, hey, what really matters to me? And are my values and how I'm spending my time really aligned with the things that I say are most important to me? And so often, how I was living and the practices of my life weren't really aligned with what I said was most important. And so to me, marking time is just sort of clicking off the days and not really realizing like, hey, I just get one shot at this thing called life. I get to make choices because I love the quote from Henry Cloud when he says, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. 
And all of us have this ridiculous control and stewardship of our lives. And so for me, maximizing your time is really grabbing your time by the throat and making sure that you're living in a way that aligns with what you say are your real values. You talk about getting clarity, but Lance, it's one of those things where it does take some work. I mean, you have to do the work. You have to carve out that time just to be with yourself, yeah. <laughs> to ask these hard questions, right? But you say it takes both clarity and courage to stay the course. Be true to yourself and to God's purpose. Yeah, and I think it really is dual because it all begins with getting clear around what really matters. And because I'm a Christian, the first place I go is the purposes of God. Like that's the clarity I've got to have is what is God's design? He's the designer of my life. He's the author of my life. He created the world. He knows how I should live. And so I look to him and his word for clarity around what, really should be important to me. But I also think I need clarity around who I am and my own unique wiring and passions and what really is on my heart and get clear around those things. But I know lots of people who they know the biblical principles. They've lived life long enough to know how they're wired. But what they really lack is the courage to actually order their life in a way that facilitates what they say is important to them. So I do think it begins with clarity. And I think what you said earlier is you got to carve out some time to really sit, think, be alone, process, because the, everybody has a plan for your life and the world will tell you how they think you should live. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give an account for my life and you're going to give an account for your life. So I've got to own really the responsibility of being clear around what really matters and then having the courage to order my life in that kind of way. Yeah. And it all comes back to self-leadership. And you'd already talked about that, Lance. You said, what I realized was I wasn't leading myself well. And there's something you say here that I love. You go, self-leadership, wherever you go, there you are. Yep. <laughs> and we cannot run away from ourselves. And I thought that was funny. Sometimes we think if, oh, well, I could just move or get a different job, but probably 90% of the issues I'm dealing with are just about me and my own self-leadership and my self-talk and the narrative that I'm constantly telling myself. And so I do think we have to really step up. And even during my days at Saddleback, I remember when one day Connie and I had probably the worst fight we've ever had. And I was sort of playing the victim card of, hey, babe, I can't help it. I just, I work at this large church. It's fast paced. The pressure's a lot. It's ministry. And she looked at me one day and said, there's always a reason or a season why you can't be who you're supposed to be. And wow. <laughs> that hit you like a two by four. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was just this whack across the head and stepping back. I mean, she was absolutely right. No one was holding a gun to my head. I was living the way I was living because of choices that I made. And I had to own that. So yeah, so good, Lance. Well, there's so much more I want to talk about, but we do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Lance Witt. Are you a rising IT leader? Could you benefit from a network of like-minded peers? Let me introduce you to the St. Louis Technology Leadership Experience. This one-of-a-kind program gathers cohorts of IT professionals for three workshops, pure small group problem solving, one-on-one -on -one mentoring by IT executives, and multiple networking events. 
You will be prepared for your next steps as an IT leader by gaining core leadership competencies and a strong, powerful network of peers. To apply for our next TechLX cohort, visit tpi.co slash TLX. So welcome back to the Something Extra podcast with Lance Witt. So Lance, this first part, we really kind of have to start having meetings with ourselves and asking ourselves these questions, or, you know, because you got to know where you are to even know where you need to go, right? And so right. if I'm having a meeting with myself, what are some of those questions I should be asking myself? I think this is so important that we get an accurate picture of where we are right now, because it's very easy for us to live in self-deceit. It's kind of like when you go into Google Maps, the very first thing it's going to do is accurately know where you are. And we've got to do the same thing. And so I think some really good questions to ask yourself are things like, okay, what really is going right in my life right now? Where do I find satisfaction, joy, fulfillment? I think another question to ask is, what's broken or stuck in my life right now? Where am I frustrated? What's confusing? What's missing? What is it that I really long for that right now isn't in my life? Another question I like to ask leaders is, if we could plot the trajectory of your life, where does it end up? Like if you keep living the way you're living, you stay on this path, where does life end up when you get to the end chapter? And so I think just taking some time to reflect on some of those things and even have some discussions with a spouse or a good friend around some of this can be really helpful to just talk some of those things out. I love that. I love that. So part two is the life operating system is what you call it. And that is a healthy soul leading from a healthy soul. And certainly you have your own story about that, but can you briefly tell the story of Michael Platt and the coyote? Because I think it's a great metaphor. I think it's a great visual for us, you know, as we're thinking about the healthy soul. So way back in the day, Michael Platt was America's most accomplished single-handed sailor, which meant he sailed all by himself. And he'd been around the world three different times. He'd logged 100,000 miles in a sailboat. And in 1992, he bought a brand new state-of-the-art for that day sailboat, nicknamed it the Coyote, and decided to immediately enter into a race around the world that was going to begin in France. And that gave him a good opportunity to test drive the Coyote across the Atlantic. And so he launches out from New York Harbor. Everything's going swimmingly well until about 11 days out to sea. Some friends try to reach him by satellite phone and they can't reach him. One hour turns into two, turns into a day. Now people are beginning to freak out. They just think he's been lost at sea. And so they deploy a search and rescue team to try to go over that part of the ocean where they thought he was. And they never could find plant or the uh, coyote. Ultimately, a Greek tanker comes across the coyote upside down in the Atlantic. And there's no sign of plant. They never did find him. But when they tried to figure out what happened, the sails were still largely intact. The mast was intact. The rudder was operational. There was no puncture in the hull. And it wasn't until they got to the keel where the ballast was supposed to be that they discovered the problem. And all of those 800 pounds of ballast were missing and were just laying on the ocean floor. And the solution to the mystery is that no matter how much skill Plant had or how high tech his boat was, without ballast in his boat, he was not going to make it. And the point of the story is that what ballast is to a sailboat, 
soul care is the life of a leader, that I have to pay attention to my life underneath the waterline, the invisible soul internal part of my life that is just as important as the external behavior part of my life. I just think it's a great visual. I've often used the iceberg exactly in the same way, Lynch, you know, and I said the tip of the iceberg, the top that you see is all the external. What will sink you yes. is what's below the surface. That's so good, Lisa. Yes. So you can use that in your next book. All, all right. I will. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll certainly give you credit. Okay. I'm sure I read it somewhere. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> But part three is all about time. And I love this. I mean, we have treasure time and talent, right? And time is one of those things. I don't care how hard we work, you know, Lance, we can never get more of it. We can never make more of it. You know, we all have, what is it? 163, 164 hours a week. I mean, we all have the same amount, right? But it's really about how you use that time. This is a great quote by Hans Hoffman. The ability to, to simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary can speak. Yeah, I love that quote. It's a, a quote really about simplification and removing the clutter. And I think in the life of a leader, especially when you are in an opportunity-rich environment, it's so important for you to be really clear around what really is the stuff that you want to go after. I love, if you've never read Essentialism by Greg McEwen, it's such a great read. And one of the principles that he talks about is if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. You know, and, <laughs> right. and to me, it's like, hey, unless you have a compelling reason to do it, don't just say yes to things just because somebody asks you or just because you feel obligated. It needs to be this compelling yes in your life that causes you to say yes. And one of the things I often teach that's sort of the flip side of this, Lisa, is that every no needs to be rooted in a higher yes. When I say no to that invitation, it's because you know what? The higher yes is I need a date knife with my wife. And so every no needs to be rooted in a higher yes. And that's been hard for me because at my core, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. And I want to make everybody happy. Lance, I think you and I are made from the same mold. <laughs> we, we may be siblings. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, boy, I mean, I have struggled with that my whole entire life, being a people pleaser. But look at what I have on my computer. Protect your yes. This is uh, my really good friend, Mark Tom, who's the CEO for my tech. He always says that. You know, I just think this is such an important subject, Lance. And you say, you know, that you travel all over the world. And you speak to leaders all the world. And here's what you hear. I am so crazy busy. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overcommitted. I have no margin in my life. This is an epidemic in our society. And we live in a world that is 24-7 all the time, right? We are connected at the hip with our iPhones. And we are uncomfortable even with silence and solitude and I think we underestimate how the noise and distraction in our world actually does crush our souls over time. And it is an epidemic. And yet I would say to every leader, but you have control over your time way more than sometimes we think we do. I can make choices about rhythm and about rest and about pause into my world that allow me to have a sane rhythm of life. 
even though it's a challenge and it is an extreme sport for a driven type A leader, it's worth fighting for. You know, I think people look at me and go, well, here's a guy who has a business, a ministry called Replenish. He must have this completely dialed in. (laughs) And Lisa, the truth is, in some ways, I'm the least likely guy to have this ministry because I've always been driven. I'm restless. I've always in a hurry. I feel distracted a lot. And so even now at 63, this feels like an everyday battle for me. But here's what I know. It is absolutely worth fighting the battle because of the benefit that comes when you can have a healthy rhythm of life. It is just such a precious gift. And I want that for me. I want it for everybody. Yeah. Part four. And I would say that this is probably the most important thing here is enjoying life with God. You say in here, you're probably the least likely person. (laughs) You said you're very driven and being busy sometimes. And I know I'm guilty of this. It's where I have worn that as a badge of honor. And I have actually tried to change my vernacular and say, I may be really, really busy, (laughs) but I'm blessed with a lot of really good things right now. (laughs) And my plate is overflowing. (laughs) That's the operative word. Talk about this because you call it the art of hanging out. Uh, Again, I don't know what people's faith journey has been that are listening to this, but I know for me, I grew up in sort of a performance-based, rules-based Christianity where A lot of following God was mostly about behavior modification, and it was living a life for God and serving God and doing things that have impact in the world for God's sake. And I get that. That's part of it. But there's also this part of this just about relationship where it's just being with God and enjoying God and Him enjoying you. And it's not about the assignment or about accomplishing something, but just about the relationship. And it's sort of like in marriage. Yes, we serve one another, but at the end of the day, it's about enjoying and the depth of the relationship. And so I I think that's not where most of us live. And I remember one day, Lisa, there was a book and a movie called The Shack. And it's a story of a guy, Mac, who has a terrible tragedy and his young child is killed. And it's his own journey with the questions that he has for God. And when The character that plays God one day is talking about Mac, the central character of the story. She says, I'm especially fond of him. And I remember emotion just coming to the surface in my throat and in my eyes, because honestly, when I think about my relationship with God through the years, I don't think about God being fond of me. I think about God asking a lot of me, about God wanting me to do things right, but God being fond of me that was kind of new territory for me. And I was surprised by how emotional my response was. That whole section of the book kind of just reframes maybe your relationship with God, that it's not just transactional. It's actually really personal. And he wants to enjoy you and he wants you to enjoy him and be in relationship with him. And so that's really kind of the heart behind that section of the book and about my own journey with that through the years. I love that the Blackabees are good friends of ours. And Henry Blackaby talks about abiding and God is so much more interesting in our being than our doing. Because as we've talked before, the busy person 
you think, oh, it's somebody that's accomplishing a lot. They're on the move, you know, and ambition and how does all that stuff play into it? But God's not interested in any of that. You know, you got to have good fruit. Right. <laughs> Dr. Blackaby, one of his favorite quotes that I love, he said, God always has to work in you before he can work through you. And I find myself reminding myself and other leaders, like, remember that Jesus said that your highest calling in life is to love him with everything that you are, and then to love your neighbors yourself. So the doing serving flows out of this rich relationship that you have with God. And when I talk to a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders who have been Christ followers for a long time, when you really get them to be honest, they will tell you, that their Christian life is sort of dry, stale. It's more kind of out of obligation than anything meaningful. And I just think, wow, God has such a different way for us to experience him than that. So good. Yes. (laughs) On part five, it's practicing the presence of people. And you talk about, and I resonate with this too, as we get busier in life, sometimes those deep relationships with friends don't happen because you're so busy. I've got a lot of acquaintances. Yes, me too. (laughs) But what would you say about practicing the presence of people? Well, I think first off, I would just say in terms of just engaging the presence of people, you have to learn how to be present yourself. And that means you have to slow down. I think so often when I really miss people that are hurting, that God brings across my path, it's not because I don't care or because I'm callous. It's because I'm just in a hurry. And hurry always destroys relationships. So I think the first thing I would say to us is just slow down, be present, look people in the eye, put down your phone, have an unhurried conversation with a friend. And then I would say to your point, Lisa, about not having depth of relationship, we can't go deep with 300 people, right? That's right. But all of us need a handful of people that know us and where we are fully known. Again, you don't need a lot of people, but gosh, if you have two or three people like that, you are rich. And as a pastor, I live most of my years kind of just with a lot of surface relationships, but not deep friendships. And about 25 years ago, God gave me a friend who is another pastor. We pastored together for a while. He now lives in Nebraska. And I can say about him, he knows everything about me, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I'm sort of calculating, like I'm cautious about these things. I don't just wade into the deep end of the pool real quickly when it comes to friendship. But over time, I learned to trust that my friend Tim, he could be trusted with the deepest things of my life. And I just can't tell you what a rich friendship that has been for a quarter of a century. I would just say it is worth pursuing. And again, if this matters, then you've got to order your life to make room for that friendship. It is so important. It reminds me of the verse, iron sharpens iron, and also just accountability to know and to be fully known, Lance. That's a beautiful thing because that person even the dark side or the things that you struggle with, you need somebody else in your life that you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And can you pray with me or, you know, hold me accountable? You know, it's so important. And accountability is often seen as such a negative, like it seems harsh or I always say sometimes accountability feels like an IRS audit. You're never quite sure what to expect, but you know, you're not going to like it. And (laughs) I want to reframe accountability as actually I'm inviting another person to help me become the person I really want to be and that I can't be just on my own. And so 
I think if we think about accountability that way, it takes some of the harsh edge off of it. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Well, Lance, this is called something extra. What do you believe is the something extra that every leader needs? So I just came out of a 90-day sabbatical four days ago. And I would say, I think the something extra every leader needs is Sila, that you need to embrace Sila. And you go, who is Sila? Well, Sila is actually a Hebrew word. Some people pronounce it Selah, but it actually just means pause. And what I discovered in my sabbatical was that the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Old Testament originally written in Hebrew, this is the Greek version, translates the word Selah as intermission. And I think leaders need more intermission in their life. They need a weekly intermission called a Sabbath, a 24-hour period that's about rest. They need daily intermissions between meetings. Instead of stacking meetings one right after the other, put a Selah between your meetings. Schedule an hour on your calendar next week just to think and process We all need those because the noise and the stimulation coming at us can just be overwhelming. So I'll leave you with this parting thought, and it's it's in one of my other books. Can't live life at warp speed without warping your soul. Ooh, that is good. And so Sila keeps me from having a warped soul. I am in. (laughs) I'm all in. (laughs) Lance. Okay, so Lance, what are you most excited about? And how would our listeners find your books? You know, what are you most excited about right now? How what would be your parting words here? I am most excited about in the in the midst of these last couple of crazy years and the pandemic and the stress that everybody has come through. I think it is an opportunity for us to really step back and go, okay, how do I want to live going forward? I think the craziness of our world is causing more people to step back and go, what kind of life do I really want? Do I really want an hour commute to work every day, right? And so there's been this the whole thing called the great resignation, you know? And I think while it's been hard, it's a good thing. I remember early on in the pandemic hearing this guy say, in our rush to return to normal, we should stop to ponder what normal is worth rushing back to. And I think we're in this moment like, yes, step back really evaluate. Where are you? And that's part of why I think the timing of this new book, Your One Life, it's a good moment because it leads you through some of that process to really be sure that with the one and only life you've been given, that you can steward it well and not have all those regrets at the end. That's part of what excites me is the moment we're in is forcing us to ask the right questions. Well, Lance, this has been just so delightful for me. I have just thoroughly enjoyed this interview with you and your books. And I would just highly recommend our listeners get out there and get the books and go look Lance up. He's got all kinds of blogs out there and all sorts of things, but cannot thank you enough for uh, being on the show today, all the way from Colorado. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Lance. Well, thank you, Lisa. You are such a delightful person. And I love your warm and gracious and sort of enthusiastic spirit. It's sure easy to be around you. And I'm so grateful that you allowed me the honor to spend some time on the podcast today. Very good. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. 
Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.